This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. One of my favorite things to do at the end of the show is often ask people's favorite tickers. And one of the ones that I would always put on that list probably would be Robo. And so you and I have always talked about Robo, and that led us to today's episode. Yeah, no, Robo is fascinating. Um, I keep seeing these Boston Dynamic videos where you've got like a robot like doing a flip and landing on his feet or a little robot dog that looks like it's from Minority Report, like uh, going up and down into parks and monitoring people. And it really kind of, it freaks you out in a way, but it also excites you. Um, I guess having seen a lot of movies in the 80s, you can imagine a world where robots are a big part. So I think the robo theme really captured the imagination of people. And that's what a theme ETF has to do. It can't just outperform. It also has to capture the imagination. And so this firm put out robo, had a big hit, and then they started making some other ETFs. And it's a great story because the other ETFs are also futuristic in design and uh, really speak to both um, interesting themes we can discuss as well as the way ETF issuers, uh, you know, try to navigate a tough market with uh, product design uh, launches and keeping up um, the assets in, in, you know, their existing hits. So what's the company and who's our guest? Uh, the company is Robo Global, and uh, they would be, you know, we talk about that, that term indie, in, like independent. Uh, they are a classic indie issuer. And the guest today would be Nina Decker, who's a senior research analyst over there. So she's Kind of like when we had Paul Bayaki on, a lot of ETF issuers have hardcore knowledge specialists uh, to help answer advisor questions on these uh, strategies, and that's what she does. This time on Trillions, Inside Robo Global. Hi, Nina. Welcome to Trillions. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for having me on your show today. Thanks for joining. So we spent a little bit of time here talking about Robo, um, which we'll, I think we'll talk a little bit more about. But you specifically work on another ETF, which is called HTech. What's that? That's right. That's our healthcare technology and innovation index that trades as an ETF uh, globally. We've got it trading on two exchanges, and it's been live uh, for over a year. Um, and it is basically our compilation. We, we follow a similar methodology to the Robo ETF, as you just mentioned. Um, where we use fundamental research to choose the best-in-class companies that represent all the disruption happening in healthcare over the next five to 10 years. We look at areas such as robotics, 
uh, virtual care, gene sequencing, diagnostics, precision medicine. These are all the areas that we think are being very much transformed and, and have offer a wide breadth of investment opportunity. Uh, Eric, it's been a pretty good year for them. Yeah, I'm just looking at the performance now. I mean, we, we talk a lot on the show about how flows go one of two places, dirt cheap or shiny objects. And Robo makes the shiny objects. And HTech is in shiny object mode. It's up 55% since launching in June of 2019. That's double XLV, which is the healthcare ETF. It's even greater than XBI, the biotech ETF. And for perspective, the market was up about 23%. So um, this is a, a real performance surge here. And it's got about 60 million in assets. So that tells you how hard it is. You got to you got to sustain this performance for a little while to get you know into the big asset numbers. But Nina, uh, what's behind the performance? Like, which part of those things you just mentioned are, is driving that fifty-five percent return? There's a bunch of things. One, uh, as you mentioned, the things that I just mentioned are driving diversity in in our portfolio offerings. So, rather than just looking at one area, like telehealth or just genomics, we're looking across the board at the at a lot of different areas, including uh, diagnostics, precision medicine, et cetera. And so what you what you the advantage of that is you get to capture the growth that's happening. Um, and when one thing is in favor, others might fall out of favor. But by having that diversity, it shields you from the volatility that's happening. Uh, mind you, these are largely uh, growth stocks. In fact, um, uh, about half of the index are, are companies that are less than $10 billion in market cap. So talk to us how you go about building an index like this. What, what was the what was the, the, the blank white slate that you sort of started with here? And, and how did you go about executing the strategy? I mean, so the template was Robo. We had six plus years of proven success. And what we did with Robo is we looked at not just who's driving innovation in robotics, automation, and AI, but the, the, the picks and the shovels that are also enabling companies to have robotics, automation, and AI. And one of those areas that we focused on in Robo was healthcare. We saw so much disruption happening in that area that it warranted its own strategy. So like I said, last year we launched HTech, which focused exclusively on healthcare innovation. And we said, what are the areas? And we came up with our own proprietary list of, um, so as I mentioned, lab automation is one, diagnostics, uh, precision medicine, telemedicine. And, and we said, these are the nine areas that we believe represent the most disruption. Now, it's not just enough to say, okay, we're gonna look at genomics and then do a Google search and just put all the genomics names in here. We actually went through all of the companies and chose which ones we believe are best in class. They have to be market leaders, technology leaders, and they also have to uh, follow some financial criteria of ours, uh, a strong balance sheet. Um, uh, they can't break various criteria in terms of EV sales. And, uh, and then the debt to EBITDA ratio are important criteria to us as well. And how do you, how do you go about figuring out what the weightings are going to be across those nine categories? We have we interestingly we have a scoring system, and I'll have to show it to you sometime. But it, it's a it's a pretty in depth uh, intranet that we have, where every single company in our universe that we analyze has a score. Um, there are several thousand actually that we that we do conduct fundamental research on, and through that methodology, 
the, the ones that wind up with the top scores are the ones that get included in the index. Um, and then we've got a, a quarterly process where we rebalance. So we actually trim the outperformers and uh, we add positions to the underperformers because again, we're, we're looking at the long term here. And for them to have even made it in the in, in index means that we're looking at their growth out of the next at least five years. So, um, so it, it does help maintain that we're always buying low and selling high. And, and then at that quarterly time, if there is a new company that we want to introduce to the index or one that needs to get kicked out because it no longer meets our criteria, we have an extensive review process. We have a team of 10 advisors who are world-renowned experts in the fields in which they operate, um, such as the founder of Amazon Robotics and the, the director of AI at MIT. These are the people that we also work with um, to help decide which companies belong in the index. One thing I would be curious about to know is when you're talking to advisors about a product like this, clearly it's a little more volatile than XLV um, because it's, it's going to uh, have smaller stocks and the weighting is such that there's more volatility. How do you use it in a portfolio? Like what does this replace? Is this sort of like the hot sauce that you just use a little on top to maybe give your portfolio a little extra seasoning or is this replacing something bigger? It's, it could actually be complementary. So you mentioned earlier how you, th you find the world of robotics and innovation very interesting. And a lot of people might think that they already have exposure to that. Same with healthcare. Um, a lot of investors are like, I already have healthcare in my portfolio. But you mentioned earlier the performance of HTEC um, compared to some of the largest uh, indexes traded in the world for healthcare. And, and there's a huge difference. So when you look at the underlying assets within the ETFs, what you'll find with ours is that there's 20% or less overlap uh, between our healthcare index and comparable indices, as well as our robotics index and comparable indices. So, um, so if you're looking for exposure to healthcare innovation, it's not enough to just say you have healthcare in your portfolio. You, you want to specifically look at the underlying assets. And so with ours, if you want that diversified exposure to these cutting edge areas, um, HTEC is probably a strong area to be adding and complementing your existing portfolio. So some people are like, I already have biotech. All right, well, we have like less than 20% of our portfolio would be names that would even fall into that category. And, and yet, even within those companies, we might have names that are not already in your portfolio. In fact, when you look at someone's uh, typical investment strategy around healthcare, you'll find that they're most heavily weighed in large cap pharmaceutical and healthcare services companies, managed care. We have hardly any exposure to large cap pharma and managed care. So I want to put you on the spot a little bit here, Nina, because, you know, 2020 has been um, an interesting year to say the least. And I'm curious sort of what the HTEC portfolio looked like pre-pandemic, the before times, if you remember those, the quaint before times, to now? How, how, is, how is the the product changed over the course of the year? Interestingly, when, so you mentioned our performance uh, over the last 12 months, and it's also, it's also done, um, performed pretty well, uh, over 35, 40% um, year to date. And, and so it's not just the pandemic that has accelerated the index performance or hurt it. Um, and so when you take a step back and you think, what's what's driving um, it, it, the markets in general? Oh, we've got the elections. We've got the vaccine. We've got the risk around no one traveling anymore. 
But interestingly, um, healthcare innovation tends to be resilient to a lot of those themes because um, people need healthcare and they need healthcare innovation regardless of what's going on. So just case in point, if you look at um, new healthcare legislation over the last five to 10 years, it's been pro-innovation. And a lot of the new legislation that's been passed was bipartisan. So it's not that it didn't matter who was going to be in the White House after this election season, um, but it, it, it's, it's just that a lot of these themes are supported by all sides. Nobody's arguing that we shouldn't detect cancer earlier or telehealth earlier. So that's one component of it. Um, regarding the pandemic, if you looked at the headlines in March and April, you probably saw every other day a new company that was working on a vaccine or a new company that was working on um, diagnostics. Um, or I shouldn't say a new company, but an, an additional company. And what I want to say is that we already had a lot of those in our portfolio, because when you only select the leaders and the best in class companies, you tend to be already be well positioned for when something like a pandemic takes place. So we already had um, Quidel in our portfolio, for example, we had Becton Dickinson. And so because we already did the homework to say, these are the people that are best positioned for growth and innovation, it's no surprise that they were also the best positioned to be the first to market with a COVID test. Um, Moderna, we added in March and they had just announced that they were going to start a clinical trial for their mRNA vaccine. That's not why we put them in. There's always a risk around that. And we're not looking for near-term events. We brought Moderna in because they have over 20 other uh, drugs in clinical trials right now, 10 of which are vaccines. They're working on HIV, RSV, CMV. They've got so many other diseases that they're working on. And they're using AI in every facet of what they do in their research and development process. That's why Moderna was able to come up with the COVID vaccine so quickly, and that's what qualified them for the HTEC index. So when you stick to the methodology and you pull in these technological innovators first, then when something happens that's big and market moving and, and thematic, um, you tend to be well positioned for it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ, Invesco Distributors, Inc. So, so Nina, I'm also really interested, um, I'm, I'm really interested in another person in the ETF world, Kathy Wood, who's had just an insane year. And one of the things that you realize when you look inside Kathy's products, um, especially ARC, um, is that Tesla has a 10% weighting, right? She's been extremely bullish on Tesla. And as she said on on trillions before, you know, it's it's a it's a long-term uh, position, but she will actively trade that stock throughout the course of a quarter even um, to try and maximize performance. And, and I'm wondering, you know, you, your largest holding at the moment is around 2%. What do you, what do you make of a Kathy Wood style strategy? And, and, and why, why not have something that you're, you're more, more bullish on than just a 2% weighting? Our methodology across our indices is a modified equal weighting because parts of our fundamentals is that we believe in diversity and, and diversified exposure. As you recently saw with the Pfizer announcement about their vaccine and, and the 90% efficacy and all the diagnostic stocks that had the COVID test took a hit because people thought we're not gonna need COVID tests anymore. Well, um, HTEC did not take that big of a hit. And, and that's just one example of one day's news. 
So when you're dealing with innovation for us, for our methodology, we want to offer that diversity because uh, no one company can pull down the whole index. And so when someone's looking for a long-term investment that they can kind of set it and forget it and let us do the, the groundwork, um, there, there's a little bit less for them to worry about on a day-to-day -day or even on a year-to-year -year basis. Uh, and not to discount what ARC is doing because those are brilliant strategies, but they are quite different from ours, which once again go, takes me back to how our strategy could be quite complementary to some of the other products that are out there. So just to follow up on one point you said while we, you guys were talking, I looked at the overlap between HTEC and XLV because a lot of investors are going to use XLV probably or have in the past, that's the big healthcare spider. And it looks like there's only 20% overlap. So there's definitely a lot of original. I think that Joel, the, uh, the, the weighting where you have much more parity between the top weighted and the, and the lowest weighted, that does sometimes give some M&A pop. Um, whereas if you overweight a couple stocks, uh, you're not gonna feel the smaller stocks that much. But um, I think this one looks designed like a classic theme. Um, with that said, I you know just because you're in a position of research, is there one or two things about the future of healthcare that gets you excited? Like, could you take us into the like hospital or the doctor's office and explain something we're going to see in like 10 years that like would blow us away? Sure. Well, one thing that's already blown everybody away this year is telemedicine, the doctor patient visit, because even a few years ago, I used to run surveys on the cell side of, of adoption to try to gauge, are people interested in having a video visit with the doctor? And the vast majority of the people didn't even know it existed and certainly didn't even want to try it. Now, people prefer it because once you try something that's easier, cheaper, you don't have to leave your house, you don't have to leave the office. Um, it, it, once you've had exposure to it and you see how, how easy it is to do, you're more likely to do it again. Telemedicine is only one small aspect of a bigger theme known as virtual care. And in the next five to 10 years, virtual care is going to underlie every facet of healthcare. So when we talk about doctor-patient visits, um, Teladoc, for example, just reported that their visits are up three times year, year over year. Um, that's just one small component. When we talk about virtual care, we're not just talking about doctor-patient visits, we're talking about doctor-to-doctor -doctor communication patient to patient communication. So patients are bringing in their families, um, device to doctor, device to device, patient to device. And that requires a lot of underlying infrastructure. Teladoc, a company in the H Tech Index is really well positioned to capitalize on that theme through their acquisition of InTouch, which uh, is, is one such or company that provides this underlying software infrastructure that can help enable all of this connectivity, even in the OR, like InTouch has an, a partnership with Intuitive Surgical that helps um, a physician. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, how uh, surgical robotics works, but when you are, when you're the surgeon and you're conducting a robotic assisted surgery, your head is looking inside of a console um, and, and like think about virtual reality types of things. So your, your head is looking inside of a console and then to look at other devices and gather other data during the procedure, you have to pick your head up and look around and, and look at some other device or application. Um, with InTouch and their integration capabilities, they're working on bringing some of that visibility into the console. So it's one less thing that the, uh, the physician has to look for. And so that, that's just one small example. Um, we, we can also see new examples of telerobotic surgery. 
Uh, there's a physician, Dr. Tejas Patel in India, that's already conducted at least five telerobotic surgeries from 20 miles away. This is really interesting to me. So uh, you're saying that, let's say Joel is in Brooklyn, uh, like you are, you both are, and he doesn't want to travel because of COVID. And I'm the doctor in Philadelphia. I can op actually operate on him via a robot. That's right. That, you better, okay, you better so hope that you have 5G, though. That that's what I was just going to say. So that technology is just on the, the cusp uh, of adoption. It's still an innovation. It's still very early days. But with wide adoption of 5G, that's going to enable the further practice of that. And, and I'll take your example one step further. Um, that's great that someone from Philadelphia can operate on people in Brooklyn. But the worldwide implications are far greater in that someone in a large city a world-leading uh, cardiologist can operate on somebody in the, in the far corners of the earth who might not otherwise have access to that level of care. And so when we talk about the most exciting things happening in healthcare, we're looking at improving access to care at a lower cost and also at a higher quality. And so if we can get people, uh, world-class cardiologists to, to conduct their procedures who might, otherwise might not have had access, that's going to be a huge improvement, and we have a massive runway of growth for that. So when we talk about virtual care, we talk about their large runway for growth. Don't just think about doctor-patient visits. There are just so many more things that can be happening. Um, there is one other area where we can reach people in the far corners of the world uh, everywhere, and that is with early cancer detection. Today, uh, about 85% of the people who are diagnosed with cancer are diagnosed in this community setting. Whereas the genetic testing and the more sophisticated uh, tools are all being done at university medical centers. Um, but that's only affecting like 15% of the, of the population. And so how can we get more people access to those types of tools and technologies? Enter the world of early cancer uh, testing. And you talked about m &A earlier. We've seen an explosion of M&A in just the last couple of months uh, with Invitae acquiring Archer DX, um, Illumina's announcement of Grail, Exact Science's announcement of Thrive. Um, we've already seen $10 billion worth of uh, M&A happen in very recent months due to this upcoming anticipated $75 billion market opportunity for early cancer detection. And, um, and that, that is one of the most exciting things right now. And HTech definitely has exposure. Every company I just named is in the HTech index. See, Joel, th this, this is really interesting to me because traditionally active management meant you go over the same 500 stocks and try to find an edge. And that is where I think some money are flowing out of that style. And where it's flowing to is things like factor, quant and, uh, uh, ETFs, and these themes. You can see the appeal here. I'm going to go core, cheap beta, and then I'll add a little H tech to uh, try to ride something that's you know potentially going to uh, work for me in the future. But that said, these are a little more volatile than the sort of stock picking active mutual fund. But to me, this is the new evolution of active. Uh, Nina, I'm 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 really curious. Um, part of what you're describing there with the early cancer detection is you know there, there's another theme here in the background, which is. Um, we're seeing a baby boom generation only get older, right? And um, I'm wondering how much that factors into sort of the companies that you're talking about and their strategies, or is it truly a more universal 
uh, approach where because healthcare might have implications for somebody who's a baby boomer, but it also could have implications for those of us who are, you know, a little bit younger than that. So, no, you're spot on. What are the reasons why? So when we talk about thematic investing, there's a um, there's there's often an emotional aspect. People feel like they want to do the right thing and, and invest in an area to maybe diversify their portfolio to uh, to help them feel like they're investing in areas that are um, uh, good for the planet or good for society. And one of the favorite things about my job is that healthcare innovation meets that. It checks that box. But no one's arguing that it's actually happening. This this is not a fad, right? So, um, like for example, the the early cancer detection that I just talked about, um, only a third of cancers today are detected in stage one and stage two. But that's when it's the most treatable. And if you can identify someone's cancer in the earlier stages, an estimated hundred thousand lives could be saved every year at, in the U.S. alone. That's, you know, I think about this around the upcoming holiday season. That's 100,000 people uh, who are going to be sitting at the holidays at dinner and, 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 and enjoying their meals with their family uh, every year. And so when you think about that, it kind of checks that, that we, we need to do this box. And there's no one arguing that this isn't here to stay and that it's actually happening and that it's coming because billions of dollars are, being, are flowing into this from a research and development standpoint. And, and it has to happen. And the technology is here. So if the technology is here and the need is here, it, it's going to happen. You threw out a number there that I, I just want to um, uh, dwell on for a second, that 100,000 figure, which made me just think of, you know, this has been such a tragic year. We've lost hundreds of thousands of Americans now, um, uh, millions around the world. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, like, you know, we've had this Pfizer news that you mentioned earlier. We hope that there's a vaccine uh, that has uh, distribution maybe by end of the year we could start seeing it hopefully early next year. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, there, there will be a, um, a post-COVID reality that we'll eventually get to. And, and I'm, I'm wondering what, what you would expect to happen um, uh, to HTEC in that post-COVID world. How much of, you know, the inflows that you've even seen this year has just been covid becoming such a dominant theme and making people be thinking about healthcare? Well, it's a great question. And that's the other reason why I bring it back to our core methodology. Moderna, for example, we didn't bring them in because of the COVID vaccine. We brought them in because of the 20 other innovative mRNA technologies that they have in the pipeline. Keep in mind that in uh, particularly in gene therapy, when something new gets approved, it's a positive catalyst for all of the other players in the space. And Moderna is very well positioned to capitalize on that. So we get one mRNA technology that works and gets FDA approved. And, and these guys have this rich pipeline to continue to grow and a, a vast runway for growth in all these yeah. other therapeutic areas for years. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. 
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I wish we could play Sticks, the Mr. Roboto song. Um, big fan of that one when I was a little kid. But anyway, Robo uh, was, Robo's, you know, the reason you're here. I think Robo put you guys on the map. It was an, an, your first launch and your and a, bit, a big hit. Most firms don't aren't that lucky. It went to $2.5 down to $1.5 now because you inspired all this competition. There's bots. BlackRock got into it. I think there's a leveraged ETF. That's how you know a, a product is a big hit when there's a 2x version. Anyway, um, it's it's cooled down a little, this this area, but it's up 25% in the, this year. It's pretty good, 100% since inception. What's the latest in the robotics market? And I guess maybe take somebody through who all they know is maybe you know uh, the vacuum cleaner that goes around the house or the Boston Dynamics video of the robot doing a flip. What else uh, is in the portfolio that that you're serving up here that is uh, you know uh, exciting about robotics? So uh, yeah, so you bring up some great examples, and um, we basically break it down into areas, uh, including computing, processing AI, um, sensing, integration. Uh, Robo is very well positioned to capitalize on um, because of our presence in logistics and innovation. The very fast growing world of e-commerce is on fire. Um, we've got 3D printing, we've got consumer products, we've got healthcare, food and agriculture. So we're diversified across all these areas where there's some very exciting things happening. You mentioned the, some historic outflows and, and yes, we do have uh, inflows coming back in and, and largely tied to the strong performance. Um, you also mentioned another one, bots, and um, I'll say that uh, it's a totally different methodology. We have less than 25% overlap with that index. That strategy uses a market cap weighting. Uh, they have an average market cap of 61 billion versus Robo, where we're more focused on those upcoming players. Um, our, we have an our average market cap of, of um, 26 billion. And so these are smaller companies, they're more up and coming, and they're really well positioned to capitalize on some of these things that you just mentioned. Um, autonomous vehicles, for example, um, uh, drone capabilities. These are all areas where we're paying close, advent, uh, close attention and so are our advisors. And so we want to make sure that we're on the cutting edge. Um, and, and looking back, someone someone's going to say, wow, this no one had even heard of this a few years ago. Well, chances are we might have already had the tools and the parts enabling that innovation already in our index. So it's, it's, it's a place to be if you want to be present before everyone else hears about it and it becomes fully widely adopted. You know, I, I want to ask um, uh, just about Think because that's uh, your your latest launch. What what's the the strategy and the vision there? Sure. So similar methodology, a fundamental analysis is is deployed, and now we're looking at a smaller group of companies. Um, so we where was we have over eighty companies with the Robo and H Tech indexes ETFs. Um, Think ticker THNQ. Um, has fewer uh, than 70, I believe. And, um, and we're looking at specifically across two different areas, applications and services. 
as well as infrastructure. Um, and within that, we're looking at areas such as consumer, healthcare, factory automation, cognitive computing, semiconductor, and then big data and analytics. And specifically, we're looking at companies who are using AI meaningfully in a way that is going to drive their growth and, um, and that they're offering some sort of cutting edge leading um, disruption. It can't just be that they happen to have AI um, that's, that's helping with one of their business processes. And, you know, Nina, I, I got to follow up on the Boston Dynamics. This is this company, I don't even know, you know, what else they do, but they put out these videos that always go viral. And it's a video of a literal robot doing like a front flip and going, uh, one of them was opening a dishwasher and emptying the dishes. Another one was at a park. And sometimes they're, they're either scary and exciting at the same time. People make jokes about the Terminator. Are we going to see a world where there's like robots like walking down the street, like, you know, policemen and, and things like that? Like how, how much are the robots from the movies going to show up in our life? So we already have robots in parts of the world doing things that humans do in other parts of the world. For example, um, autonomous vehicles delivering packages um, that largely have, been, have come in handy during the pandemic when people couldn't leave their houses are also robots, like I said, in factory and automation, um, which was handy during the pandemic because they enabled the factory to keep running without as many people having to come into work. So what, what, what I think what we're going to see more quickly adopted are the types of robots that are used indoors. So you mentioned some in the park, you mentioned some in the household. The ones that are indoors, whether it's a drone or a robot or something using sensing technology, when it's contained within four walls, it tends to have fewer regulatory concerns. Um, for example, a vacuum cleaner, um, or, or if you can have one to empty your dishwasher or to, to act like a personal assistant. We're seeing more of that because it's more contained, it's in one little network. Um, whereas something like um, vast adoption of autonomic, autonomous vehicles, might take a little bit longer because we've got traffic, we've got, um, there, there's just the risks around potential car accidents and consumers and their decision-making. Um, it's coming. And, and I do believe we're gonna have a world where we're seeing more and more of it, like the, like the Jetsons. But however, I think the ones that we're gonna see a faster, more rapid adoption with are anything that's kind of already enclosed. Okay, Nina, I'm gonna ask you a question that I ask everybody at the end of Trillions. What's your favorite ETF ticker that isn't one that you're affiliated with? Um, I mean, I'll 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 throw a, a point over to Kathy Wood and then I'll say ArcG is a pretty cool strategy. Um, it is vastly diversified from ours, so that's why I don't feel threatened by it in any way. But if you want a little bit more tight exposure to that genomic world uh, exclusively, and uh, and and they do they don't have the modified equal weighting but it's, it is definitely outperforming a lot of the ETFs that are out there and, and genomics are on fire right now. So that's another interesting one to complement uh, into one's portfolio. Nina Decca, thank you so much for joining us on Trillions. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can find Robo Global at Robo Global. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. 
Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.